Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. How many of you have determined that in your own heart? He is better. He is better. I say this, he's better than what? The answer is yes. Anything and everything, Jesus is better. And as we consider that, at the same time, we have to be honest with ourselves, at least myself anyway, and that is that sometimes the nature of Adam in me, my flesh nature, is not convinced of that. Now, I look at you and you say, whoa, whoa, the preacher started out by saying he's not always convinced that Jesus is better. Uh, And that is because you and I, even when we're born again, still have the nature of Adam living in us. It's why the scriptures teach that the flesh and the spirit war against each other, all right? And so the times in which I feel like I know better, I have made a train wreck of my life. Can anybody else testify to that? I thought I knew better, and I went ahead and went my way, and my goodness, the high cost of not understanding that Jesus is, in fact, better. He's better. I want to say thank you to those who were gathered in the overflow room, about 50 of them packed in there. I was, you saw me come in late. I was in there worshiping with them. Boy, you're talking about a worship experience. Uh, 50 people packed in a little room. They're singing out to the king. It was wonderful. So thank y'all. And there's uh, three young ladies on the front row in there, and they were like a choir singing up there. I'm telling you, it was powerful. Thank y'all for being there. And thank you for being here. And just remember that you notice some changes when you come in, right? It looks different. And it's going to keep looking different because remember, we're expanding out 300 more seats. And so just be mindful of that. There's going to be an education and worship space for the children out front, two stories. And so just be mindful this week, they're going to start really digging dirt and getting ready to pour slabs. And so you be prayerful that the people who work here hear the gospel, that they are saved, God protects them, you know, and that uh, we would continue to be generous in our giving because we believe we are uh, making room for more people to be discipled and come to know Jesus. And so we all have a part and portion in that. If you're our guest today, quickly on the chair in front of you, there's a little QR code. And I'd love for you to just take a scan of that and give us a little information. And here's why. Uh, We want to be able to minister to you better than just say hey to you when you show up, all right? So if you will, take a chance and take an opportunity and fill that out for us, okay? If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So there'll be 2 Corinthians. And I want you to find with me this morning verse number 5. Excuse yes, chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And we're going to look at a section of text from verse 12 on down to verse number 21, okay? 12 to 21. Somebody said, man, after all them baptisms, it's time for us to say amen. Oh, no, we got to get in the word, amen? And so I'm going to try to hit this quickly. There are like 60 little babies in the nursery, so we, we, got, we can't hang out long. We got to, y'all got to listen fast, okay? Well, y'all didn't get that one, did you, huh? And so I'm going to have to, I'm going to preach fast. Y'all listen fast because, well, we don't want the natives to get restless back there, Okay. All right. Amen. Y'all help me. New. The title of the message is new. Have you ever had something new? Anybody had anything new for the first time? First, hopefully you've had a new pair of clothing. Maybe you've had a, uh, a new, how about this? Uh, maybe not a new vehicle, but a new to you vehicle. You ever had a new to you vehicle? And so something that is once wasn't, but now is, is new. Okay. And I want you to think about how nice new things are, aren't they? Uh, don't you wish that everything you got when it was new stayed that way? And yet it doesn't, right? Because life happens and you scratch things and you bump things and you dent things and things wear out. You know, it's just part of the process of time down here. And so new, new is good and wonderful and we like new. And so today I want you to think about the concept of new. Sometimes, sometimes though, and I had a friend who was sold a vehicle a number of years ago and someone had uh, taken the odometer and turned it back to zero. It didn't have many miles on it, but they had turned it back to zero and it had been wrecked. They didn't and so they sold the vehicle as if it were new until a little time went by and the little uh, paint job that happened started to peel away and they began looking a little closer and they found out that what they thought was new really wasn't new. You can imagine my friend. How many of y'all be happy at that scenario? 
And my friend was not happy at all because he thought something was new that in fact wasn't new. It was masquerading as new. And I wonder this morning, I wonder this morning as we investigate the concept of a born again child of God being new, three letters, new. I wonder if the possibility is exists, and I know it does. In this room, there are some who are masquerading as new, but really in fact are not new at all. And so uh, I came this morning with uh, the intent to tell you the good news of how you can be made new and what new is supposed to look like. That'd be okay with y'all? Good, here I go, all right? We gotta dive in. I didn't have time to give you to choose. We just gotta go with it, okay? So I wanna begin by asking a couple of questions just to get you to think, okay, along the idea of being new. Here's a question I would ask you. New what? Well, the first question I would hit you with is this one. It's a heavy one, so maybe write it down somewhere. Here's the question. Who are you? Who are you? Who do people say that you are? If we were to interview the people who spend the most time with you, and probably it's going to be a coworker. You know, we spend more time at work than we do most of the time at home. And so probably a coworker works beside you, you know. I wonder if we sat down, if I was able to interview them and just begin to ask them about you, I wonder if the person who works beside you on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I wonder who they would tell me you are. He is an avid outdoorsman. She is so fun. She's just fun to be around. What would they say about you? And I consider that statement for just a moment. Then I would ask you, all right, what would you say? If you were given just a little bit of time and I was to say to you, uh, Ryan, write a paragraph uh, as if I didn't know you. Write a paragraph to me and explain to me who you are. You'd include things such as stuff you're, in, you're interested in, uh, places that you spend your time and your, and your money and your resources. Now, listen, I want you to consider this. Sometimes we have an idea of who we are that doesn't match the reality of our actions, you with me? Uh, some, now, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Sometimes it's a prideful thing. Sometimes it's a low self-esteem thing. And we have this idea about who we are, and what we have failed to realize is that, listen, who you are is put on display, listen, in how you live. That's why the people that work beside you could give a very accurate description of who you are. Not who you think you are, not who you'd like to be, but who you really are, you know, your family, your wife, your husband, your children. You could sit down with them, and they could tell us, we'd have to probably do it off the record, and they could tell us exactly who you are. When, when the tire gets flat, uh, when, the, when, the, when the cupboard is a little bit bare, uh, when stress comes, who, who are your, hey, tell me about your daddy. Who is he? What, what would they say? Oh, he's got a bad temper. Oh, she... You know, he drinks too much. Well, I don't know. What would your children and your spouse say about you? Just some, just some questions. Now, remember, you write this somewhere. Who you are is put on display in how you live. One more time. Who you are is put on display. It's out there like a billboard. You don't know it, but it is. Who you are is put on display how? By how you live. Hang on to that, okay? In other words, listen. Just to this. And here's the really important question. Who is your God? Write that one down somewhere. Who is my, in my notes, I've got, I've got who is my God? You, you write down, who is my God? Now, some of y'all, I'm looking at you right now, you're saying, oh, it's God. It's God, he's my God. Hang on, hang on. Remember, we said that what you believe and who you are is displayed in how you live. So let's just hang on before we answer too quickly, okay? Now, let's dive into this message, and there are six things I want us to look at. Can you believe that? With all them babies in the nursery, we got to hurry, okay? So number one, number one, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and first, I do want us to read the scripture together. So would you please stand to your feet in honor of reading God's word? And I'm going to read quickly uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 12, and on down to 21, okay? Thank you for standing in honor of his word. His word is not like anything else. It stood the test of time. Written over 1,500 years, 40 different human authors, all given the breath of God by the Spirit, all lining up from Genesis to Revelation. How about this? Uh, over 1,500 years of history and every archaeological discovery ever made has validated what the Bible has already told us. Unbelievable, the historicity and the validity of the word of God. But then think about the preservation the oldest manuscripts of any written literature on planet Earth reside in some around 5,000 of the Word of God. You hold in your hand the breath of God. And so today, let's just honor it by standing. Here we go, verse number 12. For we do not commend ourselves to you again. Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Both letters, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, address issues in the church. 
Let me watch your face. Some of y'all look shocked and appalled that there are issues in the church. Hey, if you're our guest and you showed up today because you've heard some things about Hickory is and God doing some things and he is, and you said, I bet I've found the perfect church. Let me, pu- let me burst your bubble. Uh, this is not the perfect church. Uh, matter of fact, there are no perfect churches on planet earth. And so if you came seeking perfect people, man, we're gonna, we're gonna mess you up big time. But if you'll join with us instead, seeking a perfect God and finding forgiveness and restoration in him, then you found the right place. And uh, so as we walk this thing together, listen with me as we read Paul's second letter, dealing with some issues. Listen, as he deals with the issues of false teachings and false apostles, he takes some time to remind the authentic believers who they are. Y'all tracking with me? And so that's what this new is going to be involving. Paul reminding by the Spirit's power to the church of Corinth, the authentic believers, who they are, okay? Let's, and also who Paul is as an authentic believer. Beginning in verse number 12, let's read. For we do not commend ourselves to you again, again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance but not in heart. They look new, but they ain't. Y'all with me? He said, we're giving you, we're not, we don't need to tell ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to brag on the fact that God really has made us new, even though some people look new on the outside, but their heart is not new. In appearance, but not in heart. Because you can whitewash the outside. You can put a paint job on it, you can roll the odometer back, and you may look the part, but it's what is on the inside that counts, okay? So, verse number 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. But if we are a sound mind, well, that's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And we died for, and he died for all, that those who live, listen closely, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them, help me all, and rose again. Hallelujah. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Why? Because you are not a body that has a spirit. You're a spirit that has a body for a temporary season. Okay, that's why we don't regard each other as flesh and bone because that part's going to go back to the dirt. Who you really are is on the inside, okay? So even though we now have known Christ according to the flesh, why? God became man, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, because now we know Christ through the Spirit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, y'all help me, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us this same ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or reckoning or charging their trespasses to their account, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For, listen close, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, help me y'all, the righteousness of God, where? In him. In him, don't miss that, in him. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Will you bow with me? God, I thank you that on a most traveled two weekends before school starts, you have overflowed this place with people. And it's because you are drawing us to yourself. So, Father, I pray as these people have given me this little bit of time, don't let me waste it. Father, may be effective and smooth and steady and bold, yet seasoned with grace God, I pray as you put on display that you can take somebody as less than ordinary as myself, someone who's messed their life up in so many ways, God, that you can take me, cleanse me, fill me, gift me, and use me. And if it's true for me, it's true for anybody. So as you preach through me, preach to me. And God, help us to sit on the front edge of our seat. And Lord, would you just keep away the distractions. And Lord, may it be as if it's only us and you in the room as if a father is talking to their children, taking them by the face, looking in their eyes, and speaking life. Would you speak life to us now in Jesus' name? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, you guys ready for a little quick jog through this passage? Yes? All right, Roman number one. And you notice, write this down. We're talking about new, new. Number one, Roman number one. Write this down, new priorities. 
When a person comes to Christ, they are new, and it's not an old something that is refurbished, but it is created new. It's brand new, okay? And so one of the characteristics of this newness is that when Jesus becomes Lord, we get new priorities, okay? What is priority? It's that thing which takes precedent in our life that we give time to, attention to, uh, resources to, our gifts to. Uh, It's a priority. It ranks up there. It's where we spend our time, okay? And so I want you to think about it for just a moment, verses 12 and 13. For we do not commend ourselves to you again. They already knew Paul. And so he said, but what we're doing is we're giving you an opportunity to look at our lives closely compared to those lives who are not really new. He says, I want you to think about, to boast on our behalf that, that, that you may have an answer to those who boast in appearance only. They looked apart, but their heart has not been transformed, okay? Then in verse 13 he says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. You ever told anybody, that this, you ever told somebody, you're beside yourself? Now, you may not tell that a lot, but I have people tell me that all the time. You must be, you, man, you're just beside yourself, you know, and I guess that means energetic. I don't know how people mean that, um, but beside yourself. What it means here, it would be the same thing as for you to look at somebody and say, man, you're nuts. You lost your mind. Uh, that's the same phrase that is used here to say beside ourselves, Right? You ever told anybody that? Hold on, don't, don't, don't raise your hand and don't amen there. Anybody ever told you that? Where's my people at? Come on, I know there's some of y'all in here. Okay, yeah, I know more of y'all don't want to raise your hand. And so we, we would say that uh, what he's saying here is that there is a priority list that comes into a person's life when they are made new, that when the world sees it, he doesn't blend in. If it's a dude, he doesn't blend in like the average Joe. His new set of priorities stands out in such a way that they say, that guy's crazy. And when a woman or young lady gets saved that she didn't look like the average Jane, she didn't fit into the rest of her class in the eighth grade because her new set of priorities is so different that they say, man, she's crazy. She won't go to the same parties that we do. She didn't sleep, you know, with, with dudes. She didn't do all that. She's crazy. She's nuts. She's beside herself. That's the phrase. And what, and what Paul says here is this new priority is, notice what he said, if we're out of our mind, we're out of our mind for who? God. For God. So the new priorities is, number one, right, is God. We're, we're, we seem to be nuts because we now have a, a high king in a different territory. We're living in a foreign land on the battlefield, and we're receiving our orders through his word and his spirit that we have a new set of priorities in our life, and people think you've lost your mind. If you dare tell people that you're not going to do something because of God, oh, listen, they'll rake you over the coals, man. They'll make you feel so ridiculous, you'll feel like you are beside yourself, (laughs) and you are beside yourself because you don't fit in here, and listen, you're not supposed to. And so this new priorities is part of the newness, Uh, him over me. Maybe you'd write that in your notes. That's what Paul's saying. When you put God ahead of yourself, people think you are nuts. What do you mean you're going to serve? What are they paying you? They're not paying. We're just going on a weekend and handing things out to the homeless. What are you getting out of that? We're getting joy. And, and, and by the way, we had a team do that yesterday. I hate I couldn't be a part of it because I was serving somewhere else. But, man, I heard y'all had a great time, Carl. I heard it was wonderful. And so if you want to be a part of that, check it out. Call the church office. We'll help plug you in. But why would somebody take a, some of their time on a Saturday and as, uh, as hot as Haiti out there? I said Haiti. Hot as Haiti out there. Y'all thought I cussed right there. I saw you. And so it's 110 degrees. What would anybody do that for when you could be hanging out with your family in the air conditioning, right? Why would you do that? What's the benefit to that? I'll tell you. You have a new set of priorities, and God loves the homeless as much as he loves me and you, right? And he loves us all the same, and so God puts a stirring in the heart, and there's a new set of priorities that says, listen, I could sit in the air conditioning and enjoy these great meals and cook something on the smoker, but I'm going into downtown Jackson. I'm going to go hand out some things and share the gospel, and that's what they did, and I'm telling you what. People think you're nuts, Carly, they they think y'all are nuts, man. What in the world were y'all doing, you know? And that's what he's talking about. When you're new, you have a new set of priorities. My question for you is, where where does your priority list stack up there? Now, remember, you have a mental construct. You have an idea in your head of who you are, right? You sort of view yourself a certain way. But I'm asking you to disassociate with that and to just instead look at the evidence of how your life is being lived. Which priorities, the priorities of the of kingdom earth or the priorities of the kingdom of heaven? Which one is being the priority driving you? Is there enough evidence in your life that your people would say that you're, he's crazy? He'll tell people about Jesus right there in Walmart in the line. I'm telling you, he's crazy. 
He's crazy. She's crazy. And so him over me, but then notice the second priority. He says, we are beside ourselves as for God, but if we are of sound mind, in other words, if we sit down and teach and instruct and make disciples, you know, make sense of what we're doing, right? If we are of sound mind, it is for, boy, y'all are so quiet this morning. Uh, and so first priority was God. The second priority is others. He says, for you. So when we just do things outside, of the, and he's talking to believers. So when the outside world says we're crazy, it's because we have a different priority. God is one, and his kingdom reigns in my heart, and therefore I'm living according to the principles of his kingdom. But when I'm dealing with believers, and I don't seem like I'm nuts, I seem like I'm doing what I should be doing, and I'm taking time to disciple, the reason I do that is because you are priority in my life. So the new priorities of the believer are God and others. Wow, uh, that's a whole different way of looking at things, isn't it, than how the world has us to live in the way that we are when we are uh, committed to ourselves. Here's a question I want to just introduce to you. Here is I'm going to move on. What are you really committed to? What are you really committed to? If you were to look at your list of priorities in your life, what are the things that you would say that you are committed to? Probably, here's one, probably we could all share this one, family. Not all of us, but most of us would say that we are at least somewhat committed to our families, right? Some of us are committed to, well, I'd say all of us are committed to some type of a hobby. Now, your hobby may be work, you know, but there's some type of hobby, something that you enjoy to do, and we're committed. You know what I found out about me and you, what we want to do? We will do. What we want to do, we will do. That's why I say what you believe, who you are, is really displayed in your life, not what you think about yourself, okay? So <clears throat> what are you really committed to? Here's another way I wrote it. What are you over the top about? What, are you, what can people not shut you up about? What are you always talking about? What are you researching? What are you looking into? What are you learning about in your free time when nobody else is around? And it's interesting, isn't it, that our priorities oftentimes are things of this world and that don't have any bearing on eternity? Oh, let me move on. So there's new priorities, new priorities, all right? Number two, number two, number, verse number 14. And I want you to write this down. So we see new priorities, okay, in this newness in Christ, but also we see new motivation, Roman number two, new motivation. Now, do you know what motivation you're born with? You ready? You know what it is? It's self. It's, you ever heard somebody say they're self-motivated, meaning they don't have to have anybody else to motivate, but we're talking about self-centered motivation, right? Why does a baby cry? A lot of times, there's a lot of reasons, but number one, they're hungry, and they'll cry, won't they? And until you get them something, they're not crying cause, uh, because, you know, mama hadn't slept. They're not crying because of that, are they? They're not crying because daddy has, they're getting up early and, and, and trying to, you know, teamwork a little baby that won't sleep at night. That's not why they're crying. Why are they crying? They have a self-need. See, I'm telling you, we come out and everything that we do in our lives is focused on ourself. And yet when we're born again, we get a new set of priorities and we begin to focus on him. And who is God focused on? He's focused on others. And we think about Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who's our model? Jesus. Jesus is our model. So the new motivation, what is it? Verse number 14, for the love of Christ, here's the word, compels us. So what is it that motivates what we do in this newness, right? How we live, what we do, how we think. It's the love of Jesus. Do you know that when a person is loved, they live different than a person who never feels or experiences love? Did you know that? You can very well tell people who have been loved well by mom and dad or grandmom and granddad as opposed to those people who never had anybody that really showed them a consistent, deep love. You with me? There's a tremendous difference. And the same thing is true, I would say, about me and you, right, is that there's this motivation that sometimes you and I just don't realize how loved we are. And where is it that we find this motivation? Now, this word compels in the Greek is a word that means, it's a word picture. And the word picture is of somebody sitting on the sidelines or in a chair, if you would, and they're sitting and they're, and they're observing and activity is happening out here, okay? And the person is seated and they're comfortable being seated and they don't want to get involved and they don't want to, you, you ever find yourself, you, you get tired sometimes, you just don't want to get involved. And the picture is of somebody sitting and they're not involved. They just sort of, you know, go to church on Sunday morning. They're not involved, 
And so what the, this, this word compels means is that I'm sitting in that position in my mind, in my heart, just letting things happen, trying not to rock the boat and still doing what I want to do. And this word compels means something has motivated, compels for us to get up out of the seated position and get involved, get in the game, get in the race, get in the battle, whatever you want to call it. It is a word that moves moving someone from inaction to action. Y'all tracking with me? Somebody amen. And so it's the, now what would do that? What would cause me not to just want to be a guy who likes to fish and hunt and just sort of go to church on Sunday and that be the end of it? What would motivate me? It is the love of Christ displayed specifically, you ready? In Romans 5 eight, that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, somebody help me, Christ died for, for us. So I'm living this life in the oldness, not the newness. The old nature is all about me, man. Whatever I can get, whatever I can profit, I'll work hard. I don't care. I, I may not work hard. I may cheat. I don't know. But it's all about me and mine, okay? But when the love of Christ comes and I realize my lost condition, that I'm separated from God and what God did about it for me, right? That he didn't just throw some gold at my problem or some silver at my problem. He allowed his son Jesus to pour out his precious, perfect blood, the blood of God, poured out for my sin and yours. And when I think about Jesus on the cross, love incarnate, where the Son of God was beaten and crucified in agony, and that he hung there above the earth between the wrath of God and the rebellion of man, and as Jesus did that for me, it causes me to want to get involved, amen? I want to tell people about Jesus. I, I want people to know the peace that comes with walking with him. I want people that are trying to do marriage without him to know that Jesus in the center can make it the greatest experience on planet earth. I want people to know that Jesus has hope for those who are struck in addiction and chains, that Jesus Christ can set you free. I've experienced it in my own life. I've read it in his word, and I just wanted the love of Christ compels me to do it. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing in the kingdom because of the great love that God has for you? Just think about it. Make your list out on your notes there. Number one, I share my testimony. That should be number one, right? Share, oh, you don't, you don't do that. Okay, well, all right, well, let's go to two. Number two, I share the gospel. I tell people what God has done for them, and I invite them to come to Jesus. Write that down. If you do that, number two, oh, that, you don't do that. Um, well, I just want you to think about that for a minute. Here's, here's a question, right? Here's a tough question, but a good question. Why has the love of God not compelled you? Isn't that a good one to wrestle with? Like, why has that kind of love not gotten me off the sideline and say, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my mouth, here's my body, here's my resources, here's my talent, what I'm good at, here's my, here's my time, here it is, here it is. I still got to go to work, make a living, right? But Lord, take it as I go about that and show me how to live this thing as you a priority and the people around me a priority. Help me to see them, not as a body that houses a spirit, but a spirit that's going to live forever somewhere and that they don't need to grope one more day in darkness. They need Jesus. And help me to have a burning passion to give to share them with them. Oh, a new motivation. Someone asked me, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? I said, because God loves me. And I got no other reason. I'm not smart. <laughs> I'm not fancy. I'm not intellectual. I, I'm just loved by God. And because I'm loved by God, and I know me, I know me better than you know me. And he knows me better than I know me, and he still loves me. And he didn't just say, hey, Terry, I love you, because I'm going to tell you something. In the darkest hours of my life, if all he said was I love you, I never would have believed him. But when I can look at the love of God demonstrated in the suffering death of the Son of God for me, hallelujah, what do you mean I don't want to give my life over and serve him with all that I am? The love of Christ, a new motivation. I've got to move on. There's a lot of babies. I've got to keep telling myself, a lot of babies back there. So it gives us a new kind of love. Selfishness goes to selflessness. We have a new motivation. The love of Jesus calls us to get out in the world. The love of Christ causes us to share a testimony, all right? Number three in your notes there, write this down. We said first, y'all help me. Number one was a new priorities. Number two was new motivation. And what is it? Love of Christ. Look at that, y'all thinking with me. Love of Christ. Number three, we're gonna talk about a new God. Write that down. That's a strange term, isn't it? New God. All right, just, just, just write it down. Let's talk about it, okay? 
new God. Verse 14, the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. By the way, that little A-L-L word in the English, in the Greek, is the, is the Greek word pas, P-A-S. It is a word that means the entirety of a thing and the entirety of every single part that makes up that thing. There's no more inclusive word in the Greek and in the English than the word pas. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus died for the sins of all, the whole world. There are some that would tell you uh, that Jesus only died for the sins of the elect, those that will be saved. I, you, I ask you today to give me one verse that says that, and you can't. You can't do it. But Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And you say, why is that important? Well, because to me, that is the greatest tragedy of those that occupy hell today and will forever. Here's, here it is. You ready? That Jesus, in fact, paid for the sins of the whole entire world, and yet some people reject his payment where he paid the Father in full for our disobedience and rebellion, and in fact say, no, thank you, I'll pay on my own. And they'll go into this place of a lake of fire where they'll pay installments for all eternity. Because there was only one payment that was satisfactory, and that was the death of Jesus who died in our place. Now think about that for just a minute. A new God, what's he talking about? Verse 15, for he died for all. Isn't that good? He died for all. That those, now listen, why? That those who live, okay. Now he's not, now, now notice what he does. He differentiates. Jesus died for everybody, but there's only gonna be a certain ones that come to him and say, yes, I want Jesus to be Lord and follow him. And those are the ones he calls those that are alive. We've been made alive. And by the way, uh, I've been thinking about this lately and, and I gotta think about it some more, but I'm gonna go ahead and share it with you because y'all know I'm just transparent, all right? I've been thinking lately about the songs that talk about us being resurrected. We've not been resurrected. We've not been resurrected. Resurrected means you were alive one time, you died and you were brought back to life. You and I were born spiritually dead. And it wasn't until we came to Christ that we were made alive. Oh, some of y'all are just like, wow, I've been singing that song about the resurrecting king resurrecting me. No, 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 no. He's already moved me from death to life. Anybody tracking with me? Y'all will get that later maybe. I don't know. It's maybe just something that's been in my heart a little bit. All right, so he did, died for all, but those who live, those who live, okay, should live no longer for themselves. Y'all reading with me? But for him who died for them, helped me and rose again. And what's he saying? They got a different God. What do you mean a different God? Well, you know that you and I are born the little G God of our own life. If you don't believe it, go check out all those little babies I was talking about. Go down there, but if you're mom and dad, don't let them see you because they'll, they'll tear that place apart to get to you, right? They'll have the whole group crying because they see you. Now, what's the point I'm making? Remember that you don't have to go very long with a little young child, young child, to realize that you didn't teach them how to cheat. You did not teach them how to be deceitful. You did not teach. You didn't sit down and give them a class on how to be selfish, Matter of fact, you had to work really hard, come on somebody, to help them, to shape their behavior that they would not be selfish, right? And they still only are not selfish because of the consequences. Parents, I was thinking about this the other day. We are, God's given us assignment of behavior modification. Wow. And we behave, we modify their behavior so they can, they can act in society, right? But the end goal is not behavior modification. The end goal is heart transformation. And so be reminded, put as much effort and energy as you do trying to make them be respectful and, you know, have work ethic and all that. Put, put, put more effort in helping them know who Jesus is, talking about him, sharing him with them, spending time in the word together. Okay, there's my message for the parents for just a moment, all right? So we're talking about a new God. There's a moment in time when a person is born again where repentance happens. What is repentance? I recognize that I should not be the God because, well, when I'm God, things don't go well. And when he's God, things are different. Let me give you a quote. You ready for this? A quote from a, I love quoting this guy, as a matter of fact, a guy by the name of Alice Cooper. You know, years ago, I never thought I'd be quoting Alice Cooper on Sunday morning. Huh? But I didn't think I was going to be preaching either. So, you know, God can do all kinds of things. In about 1995, 1996, Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper gave his life to Jesus. Now, who is Alice Cooper? There are a lot of young people in the room going, why are these old people laughing? Right? <laughs> He was a hard rocker that would bite the head off of bats in his live, in live bats in his, in his uh, performances. Uh, he, would, he would talk about the devil. It was, uh, it was very dark, if you will. And when he was born again, God radically transformed his life. Now, when he radically transformed his life, I'm going to quote for you what he said. Are you ready? I'm telling you, this new walk, this new priority, this new motivation comes from having a new God. You're born with the little G God of yourself, and so was I. 
But there's a time when the Holy Ghost of God reveals who Jesus is, what he's done for you. The love of God becomes clear for you and the power of his resurrection. And in that moment, you or I, by the sovereignty of God and his drawing and, and, and direction and clarity, we then have human responsibility that we have to decide whether or not we'll say yes. I want you to think about that for a minute. And when we do, say yes to Jesus. It's not I'm going to just pray this quick prayer and move on. It is I'm getting off the throne. I'm no longer going to be the God. I want Jesus to come and be Lord God. I want him to be God. Now, let me just give you the quote. Here it is, Alice Cooper. Get this. He said, if you become a Christian, what you're saying is, I'm not God anymore. I thought that was a very profound way to put it. I'm not God anymore. He said, after all of my life and all of the wealth that I amassed, I had all the women, I had all the drugs, I had all the temporary things this world had to offer. And what I learned in the depths of that disparity is that men don't make good gods. Somebody in here today, you didn't even realize it. You were born on the throne of your heart. You didn't realize that. Nobody's ever told you, but you know it. You know it. Who calls the shots in your life? You do. And today you're hearing about this good news of the gospel that today you could surrender that and you could have the God, God really be Lord, and he'll come and bring peace and transform your life. Of these seven testimonies that you just heard, I'm telling you, he makes things new. So there's a a new God, right? Let me move on. Number four, if you can. And we got to hurry, don't we? Yeah, we do got to hurry. Number four, y'all ready? A new creation. Read verse 17 with me. Okay? So he says that from now on, oh, by the way, remember verse 16, we're not just flesh, we're, we're spirit, right? We, we go on forever. We're eternal. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, that's not resurrected. That's brand new. That's not refurbished. That's brand new. That's not a, a better version of what was already there. That's brand new. It's a whole new, brand new creation. Isn't that good news? Hey, somebody in here today, the first time ever, you've got a little hope right now because you're thinking, well, you mean I can be new? Yes, you can be new. Brand new. New way of thinking, new motivation. I'm telling you, you can be new, new priorities. You can't do that ahead of time, but boy, when you let him, he'll do it. He'll absolutely do it. New God, new creation. Verse 17, now therefore if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now remember the tenses of the verbs here are not past tense only. It's a past progressive, which means it happened back there, but it's still happening today. Does that make sense? And so I am changed and I'm being changed. Does that make sense? I'm saved and I'm being saved at the same time. Anybody with me this morning? Give me a head nod so I know we can keep going, all right? And so this wonderful faith that we have is from glory to glory. It's progressive, okay? So we are new creation. He's making us new, all right? Finally, number four, new position. Let me give you number, number five, rather, new position. Look in verses 18 to 20. Now, all things, you're reading with me in verse 18? Yes, no, maybe. All right, verse 18. Now, all things are of God. So all these new things, all this newness, this new creation, this new motivation, these new priorities, uh, this new God, uh, this, this all came from who? God. It's all of God. You can't fake it. You can't make it happen, right? It's God who does that. And so when you let him in, he does all kinds of work. Uh, a new position, if, he, if you will. Read verse 18. So now those of all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Okay, new position, reconcile. What in the world am I talking about? Here we go. Many of you have heard me talk about over the years, and I say it all the time, about reconciling. It means something that was in a right position and has gotten off and readjusting it back to the standard position. Y'all tracking with me? Let me give you an illustration. I've got several, but here's a good one. Uh, sometimes Tino drive my truck. And so when I drive my truck, I, have to, I slide the, the seat back. It's the right position because that's, now listen, I know what's mine is hers and hers is mine. But she drives her car more and I drive my truck all the time. She drives her car all the time. Does that make sense? So we set the, the seats according to who's the, who, who the one is that's driving. I drive mine, she drives hers. So on the occasion that she drives mine, Sometimes she doesn't put the seat back in the standard position, and it's painful for me because my truck's a little, it's about, it's a little high. It's got a little lift on it, so when I thrust myself up in there, when that seat's mashed up, I hit my head, I bang my ear, you know, it, my joy, I feel my joy meter go down a little bit, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about, and so I have to, here's the picture, I have to reconcile the seat. 
meaning I have to put it back in the standard position. Now, human beings, mankind, began, and I love the fact that science finally caught up with us, come from one set of parents, Adam and Eve, right? Now, from there, when God split us up at the Tower of Babel, put us all around the earth in different places in proximity to the equator, more sun, some need more melanin in their skin to protect them in, in, in places and some less, and so we're all the same, same race, or not two races, they're all the same race, different levels of melanin, and so as all of that stuff has taken place, I want you to think about it for just a minute, okay? We now are a new creation in him, and we've been given a new position. So in Adam and Eve, God said, here's this garden, eat it all, it's all yours, it's wonderful, all the textures, it's good, it's great, it's for you. Only the one don't eat it. What did we do? We ate it. Long story short, we ate it. When we ate, when they ate, when Adam and Eve ate, they failed, meaning that sin entered the human race. It infiltrated the DNA. It's why we are sick. It's why we die. It's all the horrible things are associated back to that day. But listen, we can't just blame Adam and Eve because given opportunity, we sin as well. All of us sin as well. So, as we think about that, they were in right relationship with him at first, walking in the coolness of the garden, talking with him, him talking with them. Can you imagine how cool that must have been? And then sin came, and, it, and there was a relationship. Now they're hiding from him. Now, God didn't change. He was the same God the day before as he was that day. And what had changed was them, and now their sin had separated them from God, and they were ashamed around him, and they hid from him, Right? And so ever since then, man's heart has longed to be right with God and be right relationship with God. And we, play it, we listen, we play it out all kinds of ways. Sometimes we'll turn to alcohol, we'll turn to business, we'll turn to work, we'll turn to sports, we turn to all kinds of things because there's a longing in our heart that wants to be back in right relationship with God. And we can't always identify it. And sometimes because we don't understand how life unfolds, we try to push that away and we try putting all other kind of stuff in there. And boy, when we do, it just puts empty on top of empty and it just gets really miserable. But what Jesus did in reconciling us is that he went to the cross and he bore the weight of our sin. He took the punishment that we all deserved. And because of that, whosoever will call on his name, believing he resurrected from the dead, will receive the spirit of God and all that comes with the relationship with him. Is anybody tracking with me this morning? I'm looking for one smile out in a sea of faces out there this morning that says, I know about that reconciliation, right? When I preach about things like that, I'm watching. I'm like, no, no, they don't know about it. They don't know about it. They don't know about it. <laughs> if you know about reconciled with God, that means that God now looks at you and you once were out of relationship and fellowship with him, and now you are in relationship, but not like a neighbor or a distant cousin. You've been brought to the family as a child. Are you kidding me? Uh, Jesus has brought you so near that when God looks down at you, you're in such a right standard that he sees Jesus. What? Somebody like you? And somebody like me? Jesus has put us back in the right position and right standing with God? And I can talk to him, and I can listen for him, even when I mess up. Can you believe I still mess up? Even then, because of Jesus, I can fellowship with God. I can fellowship with God, reconciled. Now, I'm going to give you a new term today. I don't know if it's a word, but it's going to be a word today. We are, here's the two words, reconciled reconcilers. I don't know if reconcilers is a word, but we're going to just nod and say it is today, okay? All right, so we who are born again are reconciled with God, okay? That's, I wanted to show you that. Uh, our new position is that we are right with God. Jesus did that. Born again, I'm right with God because of Jesus, all right? Now, second thing I want you to see is I have been reconciled to God, a new position, but I also have a new position as a minister. You said, oh, wait a second. Yeah, of course you do. You're, you're, you're a pastor, you're a preacher. No, no, I'm talking about all of us. Everybody here has been born again is a minister. You've been given a ministry, every one of us. The word here, look with me. The word here in verse number uh, 19, or no, verse 18, all things are of God, and he's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You come on down to verse 19 at the end of it and has, here's the way it's phrased, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let me help you to see the word committed in the English and the Greek means this, that God took something and he deposited in our care. See the picture? When you were born again, God said, I'm giving you something. It's a ministry. And the ministry is what? Come on, you don't say that word a lot, but you can say it. Say it with me. Reconciliation. You and I have been given the ministry of helping people become right with God. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher, that's crazy. You can't make people right with God. You're exactly right, I can't, but I can introduce them to the one who did. 
and my responsibility and yours is that we enter to the work that's already finished. He did the work on the cross. It's already finished. But we get to join in the labor of the work that's already done by just simply saying, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me, what he did for you, and what he can do for you if you'll let him. Reconciled reconcilers. We've been given a new position. Let me ask you something. Are you occupying that new position? What's your excuse? You didn't know? Now, here's a question, just a good one to wrestle with. Why didn't you know? Not spending time in the Word? Not faithful to gather under the preached Word every time you get an opportunity? Not walking with Jesus, continually talking to Him, listening to Him? I don't know. How about this one? Never been born again. There's a position that God has for his people. And we're reconciled, come on, new word, reconcilers. We get to go out of here. And by the way, I love it. I love it. Today, 2.30, I'm gonna be preaching at the women's prison. I can't wait. I couldn't wait to get up this morning. I've been at Emmaus preaching there this weekend, and I couldn't wait to get here and preach this. Uh, Because why? Because Jesus is reconciling people. And I'm gonna get at 2.30 and get the opportunity to present the gospel to people who he can reconcile. And then if, if God gives us Monday, we'll be able to go out of here and go to our different places and, and say, I've been reconciled with God. How'd you, what? What are you talking about? Let me tell you what reconciled means. And you can use an illustration from your mind, your life. But you can point to Jesus. He's the only way. And you can tell them how he's reconciled you and how they can be reconciled to him. Oh, I'm trying to move on. We're a new creation. We have a new position. And finally, can you believe we've made it here? We got to hurry, y'all. And when we break camp, y'all go get them babies, Okay. Go get them and then love on them people and t- tell them don't be mad at me, all right? Number, number, number six, we had five was a new position. Number six is the perfect trade. How did he do? How can he make somebody like me new? How can God make me new? How can he make you new? How has he made me new, all right? Well, I'll just tell you it's the perfect trade, okay? The perfect trade. And let's read it. What I want you to do right now in your chair where you're seated is I want you to read the verse in your Bible, You got your Bible with you? By the way, let me encourage you to bring your Bible. I know it's on the overhead a lot, but don't get lazy because sometimes technology does stuff. You know, y'all with me? I'm not, listen, I'm not, some of y'all looking at me, I can't believe you're saying that. I'm not being mean to you. I'm just encouraging you. Have a copy of God's Word with you. Technology does all kind of crazy stuff, okay? So just look at it in your Bible there, and it's going to be on the overhead too. So, So those, look in your Bible, but look on the overhead. I just want you to read it. Just you in your chair. Let the Spirit speak to you. What's the trade? How does God make people new? What has he done? I want you to read it, okay? Just read it. Let, let the Spirit speak. I believe the Word of God has the power to bring about salvation to the human's heart and human soul. So just read it. How, what trade happens to make somebody new? All right, let's read it. You ready? For he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus. Okay? So he made him. He, he transformed him into something. What was it? He, God, made him, transformed him, made him into what? sin. He knew no sin. He had no experience with sin. He did not have a sinful nature. He was God in the flesh, and so the Father had to make him become sin. So Jesus didn't just take a list of your sins with him to the cross, you know, holding his hand as he died. He literally became every wrong thought and action that you and I have ever done, and that's why the death was so horrendous. That's why there were so many lashes. That's why the crown of thorns was mashed upon. That's why the spear pierced his side. That's why the nails went into his wrists and feet. The wrath of God satisfied that sin had been dealt with once and for all. So then, listen to this, listen to this quick revelation, if you will. If you should one day find yourself in a lake of fire, and I pray God you wouldn't, it haunts me sometimes. People say, man, aren't you excited? Your church is this many people getting saved, this many people coming. I said, yeah, but there's a large portion of me that agonizes. Because I know many of you come in and out each week, and you're no more going to heaven. And I, I want you to think for just a minute that you'd, you'd, you'd find yourself somewhere out in eternity in a lake of fire, in outer darkness, burning on fire, gnashing your teeth, crying, wanting to sin, but can't even find the pleasure of a cigarette. And to find yourself there, you ready? Knowing that Jesus paid the price for you to have escaped. 
It's the great tragedy of hell. And I want you to think about that for just a minute. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin, but he became our sin, and so our sin had to be dealt with, taken care of. It won't be, listen, if you find yourself in that lake of fire, and I, again, I, please help, I want you to understand that I, I beg you don't do it. But if you should find yourself there, know for certain it's not your sin that has you there because it was already paid for. It was your rejection of Jesus. It wasn't your sin that sent you to hell. It's whether or not you would receive Jesus as the Lord of your life. He already took care of the sin. And so I pray to God today that you would evaluate where you are. Are you new? When did you become new? Are you certain that you're not who you used to be? Can you say for sure that Jesus really is the Lord of your life? So let me just conclude by saying this. I'm going to read the verse. We're going to close in prayer. Verse 21 says, y'all reading along with me for chapter 5, verse 21? For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. He became sin. Why? So that we might become, are you tracking with me? The righteousness of of God, Not the righteousness of the court, not the righteousness of good men, but the righteousness of God. And that we might become that where? In Jesus. Our only hope to be right with God is in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow your head with me. Would you do that for just a moment? Now listen, with heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, nobody looking around, okay? I just want to ask this question. Is, there, is, it, is it possible that somebody in here today... And I'm going to ask by a show of hands here in just a minute, okay? Is it possible, no one's looking around, okay? Is it possible there's somebody here today that God is, right now, he's dealing with you, and he's saying to you, there's never been a time you were born again, and you're not new. You're not new. You've tried religion. You've tried church. You're not new. And if that's you this morning with no one looking around this room, not a soul, just, just in prayer, I wonder if you would just slip your hand up. You don't, you don't have to stand up. You don't, I'm not going to call you down. I'm not going to come. I see you there, and I see you there, and... Any others just, just would slip your hand up? I'm going to look around one more time. Just slip your hand right. I see you there. And God bless you right there. And I see you over there. And so I just want to say this to you. There's nothing standing between you and God's full unconditional pardon and relationship with Jesus except your refusal. That's the only thing. The Word of God tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, so we don't have to ask if God wants you to come to know Him and be saved. So if you're not, and if you won't be, it's because you have refused. You say, Preacher, I've never made a decision. I'm, I'm still contemplating. If you have not decided to receive, then you, in fact, don't have, and that is a rejection. So there were some hands that raised. I'm certain there are some that didn't raise their hand. I wish today, right now in this moment, Paul said, as though God was in me begging you, begging you, come to Jesus. Don't waste one more minute of your life. Come to Jesus. Don't pour emptiness on top of that emptiness anymore. Come to Jesus. Don't strive to do better and fail again. Come to Jesus. Don't waste your life on empty goals in your career and on the soccer field that were temporary and be gone away. Come to Jesus. Come to him in full surrender and be saved and be made new. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that there would be those that would come this morning and say, today I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. We pray, God, that there'd be some who have drifted far from his heart to say, I'm coming home. I've not been living new. I'm coming home, and I want Jesus to live in me and live through me. Father, I pray simply your kingdom would come right now, meaning this, God, you'd save people. Only you can, God, please. As I'm talking to God, I want to talk to you as though God was in me, and he is begging you. Come on. Stop resisting. Come to Jesus by way of the cross. The power of the resurrection is for you. Transformed life awaits. Father, do what you will. In Jesus' name.